Lord, we're privileged with so many kids in this church. Thank you for blessing us with them. God, be with the teachers. I know it's um, a sacrifice on their part uh, when their turn comes up to leave the service and to minister to many of our young kids. Would you bless them, God? Give them an extra measure of grace as they minister to our kids. Thank you for them um, just working to sow your seed in our kids, God. Return that reward upon them. And Lord, as your word goes forth here now, let it do its work. Open up our hearts, God, to hear what you have to say. Help us to see clearly with the eye of faith what you want us to see today. Spirit, continue to inhabit this service. Fill each one of us. Areas that we need conviction today, convict us. Areas where we need encouragement, encourage us. Be the comforter that you are in your name. Amen. All right, the kids can head out. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Folks, Christianity is under attack. Big time. But it's been that way for the last 2,000 years, right? So what's new? We should get used to it. And the attacks will come in different forms and different ways. And the Lord says that those who are truly his will persevere. How are you guys doing persevering? Getting a little weary? Tired sometimes? A little downtrodden? Keep pressing on. And here, Paul is dealing with the situation that arose in the Philippian church and was really kind of spread to a couple other churches as well. We're going to look at it in depth here. And the issue of who Jesus was was key to the life of the early church because right away, really from day one, after Jesus rose from the grave, what was the first argument that was thrown out? What was the first attack on Christianity? The disciples stole the body, right? And pretty much the attack has has continued ever since in different forms, in different ways. But one of the things that arose in the early church and that Paul deals with in a number of his epistles is a key aspect, the key aspect of salvation, which is justification. And if you get justification wrong, you get the whole thing wrong. Just ask Martin Luther. Because if we do not understand what Christ has done for us, then we do not really understand Christ and who he is. So, Paul here is talking about a group that Galatians calls uh, the Judaizers. 
And the Judaizers, it was very simple. They added the Mosaic law to faith. They added the Mosaic law to faith. So the issue affecting the early church was um, certain people who were supposedly in the church or claimed to be a part of the church were stating that you had to do extra things, essentially, to be saved. It was Christ plus the Mosaic law equals salvation. This was causing, obviously, confusion in the early church. People that were claiming to be teachers, really false teachers, but claiming to be teachers, were going around and promulgating, um, teaching, that you needed the Mosaic law in order to be saved. This gets dealt with pretty early on in the history of the church. If you look at Acts chapter 15. In verse 1 it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So they are placing emphasis on the external. They are placing an emphasis on works. And they didn't understand at all what the purpose of the Old Testament was. They had twisted it. And so now they're saying you needed to be circumcised to be saved. So what happens here in Acts 15? Well, basically, the entire church, the elders, Paul, the apostles, they all gather in Jerusalem to discuss this issue. It's a pretty important issue, right? What do you have to do to be saved? So, verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And then here's the key statement. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. What happens? There's consensus. He's really speaking for everyone here. The the, the dissension and the debate occurred with the Judaizers that were there trying to win the day. So James ends up getting up and speaking. And he says in verse 19, My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so that's what they do. They write a letter. Now, that letter, they could have said any number of things, right? Here's the guidelines for you guys. Does it mention circumcision? No. It doesn't. Does it mention baptism? No. It doesn't. It wasn't a prerequisite for faith. 
So the Judaizers wanted to have nice lists, and we all like lists. We all like to be able to check things off or scratch things out and say, we got that done for today. And it would be nice in some sense if our faith was just listed out and we do these things and we're all right with God and we can earn our way to heaven. But salvation is and will always be about Christ and Christ alone. Only him. Only him. If we get to the point where we're trying to do something to earn our salvation, we will end up sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed. Because our deeds don't earn God's favor. And no amount of deeds you ever do will truly earn favor with the Lord. Paul makes this clear if we go back to Philippians and we keep reading. We'll pick it up in verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So then he goes and he gives us his list of Qualifications, things that make him stand out. Circumcised on the eighth day. All right, so the law, his parents followed the law to a T. Of the people of Israel, one of God's chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. So everyone looked up to him. They thought that he knew how to interpret the Old Testament accurately. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, and here's the key, not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. That's what he would have boasted about before he got saved. That he was blameless according to the law. Of course, he was deceiving himself. But he kept it just about better than anyone else. But it wasn't good enough. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That, friends, is the key to salvation. The righteousness that comes, not from ourselves, but from God. The Judaizers were doing the opposite. You want favor with God? You have to earn it. You have to be that Pharisee. You have to be blameless under the law. And Paul deals with this over and over and over, this idea of being justified by God, by faith. Look at Romans chapter 3. The first four chapters of Romans are pretty much a point-by-point refutation of this idea of works having anything to do with our salvation. And he continues in chapter 3, in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Not for all who work, not for all who are circumcised, not for all who are baptized, not for all who do good works, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, basically a sacrifice that appeases God's wrath, a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? is It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. What is justification? It is the act by which God declares a sinner righteous in his sight. It's a declaration. He declares it. And when God declares something, guess what? It's true. He declares the sinner righteous. How is this appropriated? By faith. Not by works. By faith. It's appropriated. So if we look back in Philippians, this is the exact thing he's still combating. We see a contrast here between the real The real and the false. The real believer, the false believer. In verse 2, he warns us to look out for these teachers. And he uses some pretty blunt language. Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, When people oppose Christ, the Bible doesn't really mince words. And when salvation's on the line... Some pretty straightforward language is used. And that's what Paul's doing. He wants them to realize the seriousness of the error that they could easily fall into if they follow the Judaizers. So he goes on to explain who the true believers are. And it's kind of interesting because he says that they're the mutilators of the flesh, right? Referring to this physical circumcision. But then he goes in verse 3, and this is interesting because he says, we are the circumcision. And if you're reading that, you're like, well, that's kind of weird, right? He's kind of bashing circumcision. He's talking about the real circumcision, right? The real circumcision of the heart. The one that God does right here. Inside. The the external, in regards to your salvation, you can't do one thing to save yourself. The internal, God changing it, that's the real circumcision that needs to occur. So Paul kind of makes an argument here. He does make an argument. He says, we are the circumcision. And he really lists three things that the real circumcision do. They worship by the Spirit of God. They glory in Christ Jesus. And they put no confidence in the flesh. Three things. We're going to look at the first one today. Who worship by the Spirit of God. A couple points to make.
When Paul uses that word we, he is making a clear distinction between him and the false teachers here. He couldn't have made it any more clear in the Greek. It'd be like saying we, yes, we, are the true circumcision. Those guys over there, they're claiming it. They're trying to grab onto it, but let's be real. We're the ones that have the real circumcision because we know what it's really about. We're the ones that have the true teaching because God's been changing us. We're the ones that truly understand the scriptures because we're living it out by faith. So there's a clear distinction between we and they. They have the false religion. We have the real one. And here's the thing. Um, the Judaizers were missing a key ingredient. You ever make brownies? It's probably been 20 years if, if, if I've even ever tried to make brownies, to be quite honest with you. Maybe once. But if I was going to make brownies, and I wouldn't, I'd go to the store and I'd buy one of them brownie mix boxes. And I'd probably have to ask where it was first. But I would find it. And I would have to look on that box, and what would I do? I'd make sure I had all the ingredients for the brownies. And what do you need besides that mix? You need eggs, oil, sugar. No sugar. Okay, see? That's why I'd look on the box. (laughs) That's why I'd look on the box. (laughs) Salt? No salt to take the edge off it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you'd have all that stuff that you guys just said. And you'd, you know, hopefully put it all together and it would work out. Um, Here's the thing, though. It's not like they were leaving out uh, the oil or the eggs. I mean, you'd still kind of get some form of brownie, probably. It might not taste that good. Um, if you left out maybe one of those ingredients. I mean, but here's the thing. The Judaizers, and it's not like they were trying to add an extra ingredient. You know, uh, let's add some more sugar and sweeten the thing up or add some salt and take the edge off it or whatever. Uh, no, they were actually missing that, that brownie mix bag or box. I mean, that's really what it is. Because here's the thing. Um, The mix is is really Christ himself, right? And um, if you don't understand what Christ has done, and you don't truly understand that, and you think that you have to do something, then you, you don't even have the right mix. You've got the wrong mix. You're missing the box completely. Is you don't have Christ. You don't have it. That's how essential it is. So when we talk about false teachers and false teaching, it's not just really that they're just kind of adding stuff to the gospel, which it can appear like that, but really they're missing the basic foundational ingredient, which is the true Christ. Christ himself. Because to make Christ out to anything else other than the complete, sole, only, final Savior is to not know the true Christ. If you think you have to add something to Jesus, then you don't have the real Jesus. The Judaizers were were missing the brownie mix. So, he's basically saying to the church, look, we show people our faith, and we show them that we're the real circumcision 
by how we worship, how we glory in Christ, and how we don't put confidence in the flesh. Look at Romans 2. Romans 2, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you will break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. All right, so if you break the law, have you broken the law? I've broken the law, right? Okay, what does it say? You break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So let's look at that first thing mentioned that distinguishes the true believer from the so-called believer. Worship by the Spirit of God. I call it real worship. Look at Luke chapter 7. We're going to see a good example of this. Somewhat of a lengthy, lengthy section, but I want us to catch some key things here, so I am going to read it in its entirety. Starting in verse 36 of Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now I want you to notice a few things about this woman here. First, this woman put aside all shame and disgrace. She wasn't concerned about public opinion. 
She wasn't concerned about public opinion. I mean, she had to be pretty bold and desperate um, to enter a Pharisee's house to get to Jesus, right? She wasn't concerned about public opinion. She was more concerned about her Savior. I mean, think about how hard her heart was pounding as she contemplated doing this task. But she dismantled her pride, put aside her own glory, and laid it aside for the king. No concern for public opinion. That was secondary. But notice something else. She had to give up a treasured possession to be at Jesus' feet. She had to give up a treasured possession, the ointment, to be at Jesus' feet. Now, back when I was in college, um, really since I was in junior high, I had always wanted to be a journalist. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote for the school newspaper. Went down to college. uh, Was at one of the better journalism schools in the nation. And was totally pumped up about being a journalist. And then, what happened? I got saved. And so one night, at a Teens for Christ meeting in 1995... God said, you're not going to be a journalist. And I said, what? I've been working towards this since I was in junior high. This is, you know, my... I'm like one of the few people that actually knew what they wanted to do when they went to college. What's going on here? But he said, give it up. And... God and I didn't know what I was supposed to do from there, and it was it took a number of years. Um, and there was no clear path where to go from there. He said to give it up. He wanted to know, God was wanting to know, if I was willing to break my treasured possession at his feet. The thing that I held dearly, would I give up for him? And you know, throughout our lives, we're going to be called to give up our treasured possessions. And, and each one of us, we reach points, I believe, in our Christian walk where, where God says, you know, Mike, if you want to keep going with me, it's going to cost you something. If you want to keep going and walking with me, if you want to get to know me deeper, it's going to cost you something. And that's not a one-time thing that happens at the beginning of our salvation. That's kind of the big thing, right? Completely bowing the knee? Yes but it's throughout your Christian walk. Continually giving up our treasured possessions for the Lord. Notice what else this lady was. She was overwhelmed with who Jesus was. Just being in his presence. She was overwhelmed. You know, there wasn't a little tune playing in the background or some emotional plea from a preacher She was simply overwhelmed by being in his presence. That alone brought the tears. I mean, have you ever wept tears of of sorrow during worship for your sin, for other people's sins, for the tough situations that you're going through, for the struggles that your friends are going through? Well, what about tears of joy during worship? You know, for him saving you, for him simply loving you, for how awesome he is. Do we really show God the proper regard? 
Well, what went through this woman's mind as she started crying at his feet? You know, her tears started hitting his feet. I want you to notice something, though. I want to suggest something here, is that she would have noticed that her tears were leaving clean streaks on his feet. She would have noticed that his feet hadn't been washed. And she didn't know that when she first came in, right? It was customary to uh, provide a guest, even have a servant, wash the person's feet when they came to you. And so when Jesus points that out, he's basically saying, you know, you didn't even give me the, the most common of courtesies, like kind of like offering someone something to drink when they come to your house. You didn't even give me the most common basic of courtesies, which really wouldn't have cost you anything, um, Mr. Pharisee, because you would have just had one of your servants do it. I didn't even get offered that. But that's what this lady is seeing now. And she realized her master and savior had been disrespected in this house. And she had no towels, and she had no authority to ask for one, or no authority to uh, command a servant to do anything. So she really is the only thing available to her. Her hair, right? And more than likely, it would have been kept uh, up in some form or fashion, and so she would have had to let it down, which probably freaked out the Pharisees even more. Um, But she wasn't going to let this great um, thing go uncorrected. Now, we think kind of like gross. How could you clean someone's feet with your hair? Right? I mean, the roads back then were gross. If you think the roads today are gross, the roads back then were gross, all right? They were covered with, you know, animal dung and all sorts of other stuff. And it was kind of like sandals. It wasn't really like shoes. So after a long walk, you wouldn't have the most pleasant of smelling feet. Now, I don't know how many of you ladies today would be willing to have animal dung put in your hair. But I brought some in the back. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, some of you ladies, it's like, you know, if anyone gets even near your hair, it's like, get away, right? Don't touch. I've spent all day fixing it up. Us guys really don't notice that, by the way. I'm I'm just saying, so... You're doing it for the other ladies. (laughs) True, guys? (laughs) So this woman didn't even hesitate. Yeah, wise answer, some of you. I'm sure I'll be hearing from Andrea afterwards. (laughs) Your hair looks nice today, honey. <laughs> you do that. That would be a treat. <laughs> I will have my camera <laughs> ready to go. But this woman, back to the woman, she didn't even really hesitate, though, did she? I mean, she's like, I don't care who sees me do this. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to honor my king. Contrast that with the Pharisees. I mean, if anyone was concerned with public opinion, right, it was the Pharisees. You know, I mean, Jesus, they're like, you know, questioning Jesus. By what authority do these things, you know? And he, 
he answers them a question back, right? About, well, what about John the Baptist? So what do they, you know, they got to have a little huddle. Uh, let's take a little poll here. If we, if we do this answer, then the crowd's going to react this way. If we say this, the crowds are going to react that way. We're in trouble, right? So, oh, we don't know. We don't know. They were concerned about public opinion. Here, God is in their midst, right? Jesus himself is right there. And the Pharisees don't even realize it. And what do they do instead? They criticize him. They criticize him. What about you? You know, is God doing amazing things? He is. I mean, all around you, God's doing amazing things. And he is present. And you end up criticizing tiny little petty stuff. All sorts of awesome stuff going on here at Liberty. You know, and we're concerned, you know, oh, way in the back, that little tiny spot on the carpet. We're concerned about that little tiny spot, so to speak. The metaphorical spot on the carpet is what we're concerned about when right in front of us, God's doing amazing things. We had a healing a couple weeks ago at a life group. We had a marriage about a year ago. I asked a couple if I could share this. A year ago, on the brink of divorce, literally. And God had him do a 180. Amen. He's doing it. He's doing it. Now, you don't get to see all the stuff all the, all the time from, from my perspective, because um, I'm pretty involved in those situations. But he's doing it, and guess what? Maybe some of the reason you're not doing it is you're not as involved as you need to be. If you're just showing up on Sunday, you're going to miss out. But all this amazing stuff is happening. Inner healings. People have gone through some nasty, tough stuff this past year. And God's done an inner healing in their life. And you need to hear that. You need to see it, and you need to acknowledge it. You know, some of you uh, maybe have a marriage, and it's struggling. You need to know that right here, God touched the marriage, and he saved it. You need to know, if you're struggling with an inner hurt, that God has touched people here and healed it. You need to know that if you have some type of physical ailment, that God can heal that. There's a healing last week in Belize from someone I consider a very reliable source. They were leading a team down there. And um, it was their own, it just happened to be their own church. And one of the ladies in the church, from the U.S. church wanted to pray for a lady who was blind, but she kind of chickened out. So then they were doing some food distribution in the village. And, um, and the person who was telling this story, the leader of the trip, was like, you know, for whatever reason, I just, I knew that this lady, she didn't know she had chickened out from praying for this lady to be healed. She's like, I, I just knew for some reason that this lady was supposed to go to this house. And she didn't know that the blind lady lived at that house. Because they're breaking into teams to, to distribute some food. So um, the lady sets it up. They go to the house. She works up the courage, steps out in faith. Right? The only oil they had was vegetable oil. <laughs> they used the vegetable oil. <laughs> They anointed her, <clears throat> prayed for healing, 
She opens her eyes. This blind lady opens her eyes and, and starts crying. And they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's like, I can see. I can see. And the person who was uh, telling the story was like, you know, I always knew God healed. I always knew he did those things. I always heard those stories. I just wasn't sure if I would ever see one myself. Faith. Believe. Believe. Lord, help our unbelief. That's what some of you need to cry out. Help our unbelief. God is doing a work here. Don't get caught up in the criticism, in the petty criticism, in the petty nitpicking. You know, that little, you know, that particular liberty ministry, if they would only. If you want to criticize, that's great. Help be a part of the solution, right? Anyone can be a critic. I can tell you all the things wrong with this church. All right? I probably know the vast majority of them. I'm sure there's some I don't know. Help fix the problem. But don't get focused on that stuff. Don't miss what's going right on in front of you, right in front of your face. Well, real worship continues. Let's look at 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 6. This is when the ark is brought is brought back. They have a little incident with Uzzah putting his hand out. So they stored at Obed-Edom's house for a while. The Lord ends up blessing Obed-Edom. And in verse 12 it says, It was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. I mean, she's got an agenda, right? She comes out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, 
had no child the day of her death. I mean, David's all into it, right? I mean, he's rejoicing, dancing, leaping, sacrificing. What's Michael doing? She's simply observing. I mean, was she there? Eh, Kind of, right? Kind of there. Some of you are kind of at worship here, right? You're really observing everyone else worshiping. And she equates him with a vulgar fellow. I mean, she insults him for worshiping, seriously, for worshiping the Lord. Let us not do that. Here's what one commentator said. He put, he put it really simple. David was willing to risk being misunderstood and humiliated as he pursued a deeper relationship with God. Misunderstood and humiliated. Look, the world is definitely going to misunderstand us. But even other believers might. Let us not be, let that not be an impediment to us truly worshiping the Lord. All right, let the church and world openly and boldly know how much you really love him. I mean, who cares if no one else accepts you? If Jesus accepts you, that's all that matters. You might get shunned, put off, laughed at. The Son accepts you. The Son accepts you. And if we have the real worship, then let's do the real worship. Let's be like the lady willing to break her treasured possession before the Lord, awed in his presence. Let's be like David, right? Worshiping without a concern or thought to what others might think. It's my favorite verse in verse 22. He says, I will make you... He's like, you think that's something? Wait till next week's church service. (laughs) You haven't seen anything yet. It's one of my favorite verses. And, you know, does the scripture ever say here, and what, you know, Michael's actions were wrong? Well, in a way it does, right? It's interesting, because the scriptures just make commentary sometimes, and they let the reader draw their own conclusions, knowing the reader will come to their own conclusion properly, The last verse being, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. God was not too pleased with the way she treated David and despised worship. Look, we have the real Christ. And our salvation comes by faith alone in him. God is the justifier. He looks at each one of you And he declares you righteous. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, God does that. You can't do it yourself, but God does that. He justifies you. He looks at you in your fallen state with all your sin and all your junk and everything you've done and says, righteous. And if God says it, it's true. If you don't know him, you have to be like that lady in Luke and go to the feet of Jesus. And you know what? If you do know him, you need to be like that lady in Luke and continue to go to his feet, willing to sacrifice whatever treasured possession he calls you to, whatever it might be. Let's be like David.
who worship the Lord. Let's not be like Michael. Let's not be like the Pharisees, criticizing. God is in our midst. If he is, and he is, do you believe that? Amen. If he is, and he is, then let's worship him like he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the justifier, that we don't stand on our own two feet by any stretch, that it's because of what you did through your Son and with your Son that we have any standing at all before you. And we were unrighteous and we were fallen. And in that state, your word says, you demonstrated your love towards us. You sent your son to die for us. And Lord, here you are in our midst today. What will we do? How will we respond? Soften our hearts, Lord. Remove the hardness. Remove the thorns, the thistles, Lord. Make it a a soil that is ready to be used by you, God, that can receive your word planted in it, nourishing soil. Be with us, Lord. God, you are at work in this church. Open people's eyes to see that, Lord. Let them partake of your goodness. Give hope, Lord, to those struggling, to those tripping up, to those faltering. Give hope, Lord, to them. Let us love you more than anything else, God. That when you call us to lay down our treasured possession, that we would do it. For your glory. For your honor. Amen.